What's up, folks? Welcome to Hitting the High Notes, and thank you for hitting the high notes with us. We're here to do a little Utah jazz talk, and when I say we, I also mean me. Uh, my name is Hootran, uh, host here. You can find me at Jazz High Notes on Twitter, um, uh, and you could, that's also the you know the podcast Twitter handle. I'm here with Go the Distance 49, Jared Barker. What's up, Jared? I am good. How are you? <laughs> very, very good there. Um, uh, we're doing fine. I mean, the Jazz are riding high. Uh, you and I uh, got to go to the game with a bunch of Jazz tweeps. Um, uh, we went and saw the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Utah Jazz um, uh, last Friday night. And, um, uh, yeah, it was a pretty sweet um, game. Uh, is it, Did anything important happen in that game? In like you mean like Bojan manifesting as like uh, some kind of a franchise altering player? I I don't know. I think so. Wow, wow. Well, the trajectory wasn't good if we didn't get somebody, and Bojan seemed like he was a really yeah. He can he definitely raises the ceiling, and I think he proved that in that game. I just the the like sorry you hit me with the a bowl of uh just a, a, a huge amount of hyperbole, and I was not ready for that. Franchise altering, damn. Well, think about it. Is he not like one of the best free agent signings we've ever made? I've, I know, I, I, I said that during the offseason that I think this was the best free agent pe- period the Jazz have had. Uh, that includes the Boyan signing. Well, uh, which, which most... to me, franchise altering, right? I, I would, I, if the Jazz win the next six championships, I would say, yeah, franchise altering, but if we win, if we won one of them, if we made it to back to an NBA finals, that's franchise altering. Oh boy. Uh, That's, that's pretty, you don't think so. You don't think so. I do not think so. We, we are an organization that has never won a title. How can you not think that that's franchise altering to win a title? I guess, uh, yeah, one, but man, like that's just so high. Like you're making it sound like um, he should already be on the Mount Rushmore. Of I didn't say that. I did not say that. I said he could, he looks like he he may be manifesting as a franchise altering player. I didn't say he belongs on the Rushmore. I didn't say he's like top five. Franchise altering is pretty big words there. So that's why I was, that's what Uh, I'm getting at. Yeah, fine. Semantics. You want yeah. to play in them? That's fine. I'm just saying that's uh, well. I mean, that, that's why that's why I was surprised when you said franchise altering. I was taken taken aback a little bit. So, but okay. um, uh, yeah, um, uh, you and I, uh, we also took our, uh, we also went with our friends uh, from the Jabber Jazz podcast, uh, Adam Bushman, and uh, his wife joined us. Uh, we went with our Twitter tweets. Um, at Gary lives. Um, uh, the unicorn came with us, and uh, we also went because um, Ant to the Max was visiting from San Antonio. So it was a really, really fun trip, really fun game to go to. Uh, as I said to you, um, I don't think I've ever been to a game winner before. Uh, yeah, you did mention that. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's quite an experience. Um, the problem is that, uh, as I mentioned before, I don't really feel the highs and lows. Uh, of jazz games anymore like if, if we lose a bad game if the jazz lose a bad game if the jazz yeah we, we know you're dead inside we know don't perform very well i don't i don't really let it bother me uh, on the flip side of that um uh Boyan's three goes up in the air i raise my hands and i go oh that's in he hits it you know i cheer and, and it, it was fun but i could just feel that everybody else liked it more than i did i guess i should i don't know the best way to explain that <laughs> Everybody liked it more than you did. Yeah, everybody else seems to be like just really, really into it. And I was like, all right, cool. That was fun. I was happy. It's also one game, and the feeling was fleeting. Like um, it lasted for a little bit. I feel like the high lasted 
uh, a lot longer for, uh, I don't know. I, I, I maybe, uh, maybe I'm speaking out of turn for you, but I feel like a lot of people felt the high for more uh, than yeah. an hour, you know? Well, I mean, uh, I think most people like after four hours, it went away. Right. Otherwise we'd have a lot of people seeing doctors. Um, um I, I see. Well, I mean, I, I saw a lot of tweets. So I get the joke by the way. <laughs> um, but do you? I, yeah, I, I don't did. know. <laughs> uh, I, well, I just knew you were going to go there. Like as soon as you start saying it, I was, I was like, okay, he's going to make a, an ED joke. And so, uh, <laughs> uh, the point well, I, was, I mean, at least I'm not, we're not like the David Locke podcast where did you, you've seen McCoy's reaction video to that, right? Where <laughs> She's listening to one of his commercials. Oh, right, 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 right. Hey, well, hey, I'm trying. I'm trying to get that sponsorship on, uh, on the podcast. So. Oh, dude, did you meet? Did you message them? Because we should honestly not make fun of them if you did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, I, I know a lot of people were, were tweeting like 24 hours later, going, "Oh, we're st- still feeling so good about last night." And I was like, "Oh, I'm already on to the next game." You know, trying to figure it's, out it's game to game. Game. to game. To me, yeah. it's you know, it's an 82 game season. I, that. That win to me didn't prove that we were so much better or anything like that. I, I mean, mean, honestly, the last minute. So the the fun story about what happened there was Jazz go up six with about forty five seconds left. Rudy Gobert is going to the line for two points or two free throws. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, the Bucks call a timeout because uh, you know they just do. Uh, uh, one of our friends um, uh, turns to us and say, "Oh man, I didn't think we were going to win both games against Philadelphia and Milwaukee." <laughs> I was like, well, dude, there's 45 He's throwing you under the bus, Adam. He's throwing you under the bus. I did it until you said. <laughs> oh, well, well, I mean, that's very presumptive because he's the only one whose name you seem to know. <laughs> I didn't say um, uh, anybody else's name. I just said somebody that was with us. Anyway, um, so, yeah, he, he talks about, like, oh, yeah, I didn't think we were going to win both these games. I was like, well, you know, there's 45 seconds left. Let's pump the brakes a minute here. And then everything. Oh, we both said that, yeah. Uh, Everything yeah. that could go wrong went wrong for the Jazz. Uh, you know, a couple turnovers by Donovan. One was a foul. Rudy missed both the free throws to yeah. start it. Yeah, Rudy missed both free throws. Uh, they scored quick. Uh, the Bucks scored quickly. Donovan um, uh, goes into a, a Kyle Korver double team. George Hill um, uh, in the you know in the L- ball. Yeah, whatever he does. The the league two minute report did say that George Hill called uh, was a. Uh, did foul Donovan, but it wasn't called in the moment. So, oh, really? I didn't really read that. That's yeah. So th- there were there were two fouls on the Bucks in the last two minutes. First was a George Hill uh, foul that got gave them the ball back with uh, about you know three mm. seconds left. The next one was a moving screen on Brooke Lopez on the very next play, which uh, was nullified because uh, Chris Middleton uh, traveled on that play. So, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, it was a really good win uh, for the Jazz. Uh, you know, a, a nice corner three. Just one of those things that. What we learned from it was that Donovan had an off night. Being there watching it live, it didn't feel like he was having a, a huge off night. Uh, still made a couple shot, big shots, but I think it was masked because Boyan and Mike Conley were having such big games. Oh, yeah, they were both brilliant in that game. And so, uh, yeah, we, we didn't have to uh, – the we, as fans, didn't have to really worry that Donovan uh, was having a bad game. We didn't really notice it because everything else was going so well for the Jazz. Um it's really nice when you don't have just one offensive player that you're sitting there digging into going, oh, man, he's playing well. We're not going to win. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> yeah that's kind of what I want to get to because last year it was like it was basically Donovan or nothing, you know, like, yeah, we go as Donovan and Ricky go pretty much. It was. Yeah. Kinda... And then the next two games that Boyan, who has scored 33 against Milwaukee, 
has, has kind of quite nice. He didn't score 20 against the Warriors. He didn't score 20 against the Nets. Um, two games that the Jazz could, I mean, the Jazz went to Golden State Monday night and uh, they won by 14, but it, they, they really never pulled away like uh, a lot of fans were hoping against a, a depleted Warriors team. Yeah, everybody, I th- people seem to be frustrated about that game. Like, even though we were winning by 14, lots of people seem to be frustrated. And then the very next night, you know, we play the Nets, and you see, you hear a lot of that same frustration. I'm like, well, the, the team is winning games, but people are still so mad. Like, I didn't witness any of that live. Like, I was not, uh, I didn't watch the game or anything like that. You know, uh, I wasn't at the game, didn't watch the game, um, live anyways. I watched a replay later. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I go online and people are talking about how like everybody's been so mean to each other and everybody's fighting. And I'm just like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? <laughs> like, apparently there's a, a jazz Twitter civil war, you know, <laughs> because yeah. people are like, oh, we're not meeting expectations. I'm like, we're eight and three. What expectations do you have exactly that the offense is working perfectly at like, you know, 11 games in? I mean, to me, I'm really happy with the start. I, I figured we'd be more like six and four at this point, or I mean, not six and four, but like, you know, maybe even six and five, you know, because there were some tough games in there that we managed to scrape by and win. Um, yeah, the, the Jazz are on a four game win streak thanks to wins against uh, the Sixers and Bucks at home. I mean, they were at home, but still, that's uh, those are yeah. quality wins. And then the Nets uh, on a back to back, the second game of a back to back, even though hard, we're at home. Yeah, it was, that's a, a, it was a hard back to back because uh, turnaround, the Jazz, man. Yeah, the Jazz played in California. They lose an hour flying back. It was a late game in, in Golden State. So, yeah, 8 30. Sheesh. Late yeah, so, yeah. Uh, this is a game. These are some games that. You can see the Jazz um, lets these games slip away last year, and these games are they're starting to put the stamp on it. The next game, the Jazz had to come back from 15 points down at halftime, and uh, it, it, they look sluggish. Oh, Wasn't um, it 16? I mean, that's it's even more impressive. One more point, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, yeah, the Jazz uh, against the Nets, uh, there was a lot of frustration online, um, but you can kind of see it coming because again, it was, it was a hard back to back. It was definitely not built well for the jazz, even though the war, the nets, excuse me, the nets were only four and five going into that game. Uh, they're still a pretty tough team they're, they're on a road trip right now. The jazz came back from just, uh, I think the nets didn't have a game the, the night before. So the jazz were on a back to back coming back from California, losing an hour after a late game. It, it is what it is. It messes with your schedule. Have you seen this, uh, Joe Ingles hate, you know, that came up, especially after the, you know, they're like, he's been so poor, blah, blah, blah. Oh no. You know, yeah, I, I don't think I've seen anybody say yet that like, oh no, I'm sad they extended him another year or whatever. But I, I mean, I'm I'm waiting for that kind of thing just to see it coming. Like, I, I, it's just like it would not surprise me at this point with how down on angles everybody seems to be. Well, not everybody, but a very vocal minority. Like a lot of people still love him, but you know, there's a lot of I, like. I will play devil's advocate here. Cue the pinball machine. Um, and. <laughs> I'll give them equal time here. So th- here's the thing. I-, I-, I think Joe Ingles is an integral part of this jazz team. I agreed when uh, we had uh, Gary the Unicorn on, and he talked about Joe Ingles being probably the most overrated jazz man, which sounds like a slight. When you say someone's overrated, it does sound like a slight. And I, I well, it's that. all about how you take it, right? It's all about how, how the people take the right. The- because like w- w- I think uh, maybe um, we should have him on to explain his position again. Uh, but I do think when people paint Joe Ingles as he should already have a statue. Oh yeah. The goat. Yeah. All that yeah. stuff. And that stuff, that, that stuff is overrated. He is 
Joe Ingles is a very important. He's a good role player. Yeah, he's a good yes, role player. You know, he, you know, he's he has gone into a role. He's he's gone to an age where we saw his peak. His peak probably only lasted one year, and he might be on his downswing. And that's you know, this is again equal time. I don't want people to come as as this is a hate to Joe Joe Ingles. You know, his his shots aren't falling. Joe Ingles shots aren't falling with the regularity that we were so accustomed to. Two years oh yeah. Yeah, you um, uh, would see Joe Ingles put that shot up when he was wide open, and you know, eighty-five, ninety percent of the time, you would think, "Oh, that's well, going in." He has his slumps. Like people, people act like he's always good, and and he doesn't have down stretches. But I remember there was one part of the season last year, maybe even the year before, where he had at least like a couple stretches, which seemed like five, six games, where he played pretty poorly. His shots weren't falling. And then, you know, things kind of string back together for him. I think, you know, things ebb and flow. That's the difference between, like, role players and superstars. Role players, like, superstars, you seem like you can see that at the, their peak 95% of the time. Role player, you see it, what, between anywhere between 50 and 80% of the time, maybe? Like, it, it swings, it ebbs and flows. I mean, it's all about... Uh, you know, I mean, uh, we we never talk about like how everybody's adjusting to each other, right? Like Joe is getting used to that the role that he's in now versus the role he had last year, which are two different things, in my opinion. Well, oh yeah, perfect. I, and I, I and the, I don't want to keep harping too much on um uh, on Joe Joe Ingles here because I I do love him as a player and he's a player I would be proud to like own a jersey of you know and and you know represent well uh, the Jazz. Uh, the problem is that like, oh yeah, use your use your team store gift card that you got yeah. from the Mountain America application for the credit card. Do, yeah, do I think Joe Eagles? Uh, yes, we're looking for sponsorship. Do we are <laughs> trolling for sponsorship? Hey Nintendo, give us money. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> So do I think Joe Ingles, um, like, is this a slump or is this more like should we should be accustomed to what we see here? Like, um, are we going to, because the thing is that like in Joe's slumps before, I could see him having a real impact on, you know, half the games of the season. And now with his new bench role and what he has to do now, I just don't think we're going to see that offensive impact. I don't think we're going to see that 30 point game against the Warriors anymore from him. What I do see is that, you know, he'll come in and, and, and do his, and like, if he has, a 15, 18 point game, we might think that's, you know, great before I could see his ceiling as, you know, going out of his mind, hitting 30 points against the Warriors against a great defensive team in the Warriors uh, last year, you know? Uh, but this year I just don't see him having that same ceiling. And I, I, it's just one of the things that like with age, um, you, we might have already seen this peak. That's just, I'm putting it out there. The, the guy is 33 years old, you know? It doesn't feel like it because he hasn't been in the league as long as some of these players because he had such a late start in the NBA. But the the fact of the matter is, I I know that there are some Jazz people who have already had discussions about um uh, have we seen the best of Joe Ingles? Now the one year extension, while I think um uh, it's a great extension from uh like you know to give him the safety valve because we should pay players for past performances. Uh, in the future, they could hamstring the Jazz because uh, there, there's talk about the Boyan Bogdanovich contract for as long as it is. The fourth year could really hurt the Jazz in uh, that same year because you know Rudy's going to be on a max, Donovan's going to be on a max, Boyan's going to be um, uh, making taking that chunk. Now we have uh, <coughs> excuse me, Joe Ingles being up there. You know that's four players taking up I don't know 75, 80 percent of your cap, so that could hurt the Jazz. 
And right now, I don't think it matters. You know, the, the Jazz window right now was this year maybe and possibly next year making the run if they can um, uh, have a good year this year. After that, I think the Jazz Brass knew, um, uh, okay, that, that's why they wanted the Conley contract as opposed to, say, D'Angelo Russell, who played very well for the Warriors, by the way. Um, that um, uh, Conley's contract ending in two years was actually more benef- uh, more of a benefit for them to be able to try to build the roster out. Um, that's another that's salary cap talk that we can get into later, I think, but um, uh, that's just... Yeah, well, maybe, maybe we'll have a pod that's like exclusively salary cap talk. I think that's a really good uh, – I mean, we obviously would love to have the brothers Clayton on, and we, we've talked to them about that. Um, so I think that would be a really great topic for discussion when, when we're able to make that happen with them. But the thing, I, I don't want to talk about that at game 12, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. That too. Yeah. We can wait We can wait till like game 80. Like, <laughs> like, like salary, cap, salary cap talks more for like when your um, uh, team is out of the playoff race or like in that's, the offseason. That's very know? true. We can wait till next offseason. Or, yeah. or, or even the trade season. We'll see. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I know that we, you and I wanted to talk a little bit about XM as you are uh, an Islander. <laughs> uh, hoping to see uh, Dante uh, eventually make his return. Um, he's practicing, so that's that's a good sign. Um, yeah, and, we, and we've seen him traveling with the team, so that's obviously that means he's very close, in my opinion. Because yeah. like when he's not close, we don't really see him travel with the team very much. And but yeah, that's awesome. We we, we hear about him practicing. We hear he's very close. Uh, I mean, Tony went as far to say as that potentially he might have made his return last Friday, but. Who knows? Maybe he makes his return. Uh, I don't know if he's going to make his return at a home game or a road game, but I'm excited wow. to uh, to see that. Uh, one thing we did want to bring up about Dante to specifically was the uh, – I mentioned to you that I saw a comment someone made is uh, is that uh, another particular player had been great on defense. Uh, let's see. Uh, Moutier had been great on defense, which uh, debatable, whatever, throw away. Dante's defense has always been overrated a bit, to be honest. I felt that was like, to me, that was like startling. I'm like, overrated how exactly? Like yeah, when he that, plays, he makes a real impact. Yeah. I I, I did want to touch on um, uh, what Moutier and Jeff Green did for the Jazz um, in that next oh, game. They um, were nice. Yeah, especially it, in the fourth it, quarter. Yeah, it gave the Jazz a boost. It gave the the starters a rest. Um, a whole lot of things work. And uh, that's the thing about bench players. Like we we talked about that earlier with Joe. Um, role players are guys that it, they're on the bench because they're not scoring twenty points a night unless you're like Lou Williams or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that and that's his role is to do that off the bench. But you know, for most or, of the league, or if, for uh, for you longtime fans, you know, giving us that scoring punch off the bench quote Ty Corbin and he's talking about Alec Burks. Yeah. Nice little scoring punch off the bench. <laughs> yeah, well Alec has never <laughs> that many off the bench. Well he scored he scored like ten to fifteen, which is okay. Yeah. <laughs> well that's what I'm, but I'm saying like you know twenty. I mean yeah, yeah. between ten and twenty. Like there's a huge yeah. difference. Oh yeah we, we we started jumping the shark with him and we're calling him easy twenty. Like yeah. he had a couple of twenty point games we started calling him easy twenty. <laughs> and um uh again I like another great um uh, core four jazz man that you know happy to see him core four still- Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, so so happy that um, uh, Alex still has a, a a role in the league, you know. Yeah, so, me. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Him being on the Warriors is great for him. Um, Even know, without the injuries, he probably was going to be a rotation player, which is great to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. honestly, I love it. Um, but yeah, so let's because uh, like, here's the thing. I, I see a lot of people like tweet about like Green as the new uh, Crowder. Like you know, he puts a shot up as no, no, no. 
And then if he makes it, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. <laughs> which is I thought it was kind of weird because like the thing about Crowder's shot, it just it never looked smooth. When Jeff Green puts up a shot, I don't like, I don't know. You don't I, cringe. You don't cringe I, at the shot. Yeah. I think it looks like a good shot almost every time. Like, like the the shooting motions there, everything looks good. And, and you like, also miss, don't you know? see him fall to the ground every single time he shoots that three, do you? Well, you know, Jay Crowder is a four point four point king, so that's that was <laughs> that is, that is, that is, that is, yeah. Strategy. Yeah, it's the guy I'm up pointing to his head, like the smart, you know. <laughs> so um, think about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think Jeff Green. Is that, that's the thing is that the Jazz bench it seems a little weak because we don't have guys that can go out. The Jazz don't have guys that go out every night and put out those uh, uh, put out the fires that we need. Uh, but the nights that they're on, they they look good. Um, it it could be a real weapon for the Jazz. Um, but that's, I think a lot of NBA teams don't have the luxury of having a deep bench. Like when the starter goes out, like, okay, well, we feel confident with this guy coming in to carry the load, you know, like not, not many teams have that luxury. Definitely you know? agree with you. Yeah. And I, I think um, uh, the Warriors have spoiled the Warriors, uh, maybe the Rockets, uh, some of these teams that have always just had, you know, the great benches like Andre Gudala and Sean, Sean Livingston said probably could have started for teams, uh, the last couple of years. But they chose to take less money to play for easy rings, you know, and so uh, to, to play behind, you know, to, to let Clay Thompson and Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, Draymond Green do the heavy lifting and come in against uh, and beat up against guys that, you know, they're, they're, they're they were better than. So, uh, excuse me, my voice is going out. <laughs> you good. Yeah, but yeah, so yeah, that's um. Uh, I think um. Uh, the Jazz kind of have that. Like you're gonna have nights where Jeff Green doesn't look great, but you have nights where Jeff Green looks pretty good. I, I saw someone tweet out that, oh, Jeff Green tricked another another fan base. I'm like, really? I mean, he he's playing better than, or he's playing up to my expectation. Moutier is playing above my expectations, but I had a very low uh, expectation for what Moutier was gonna give. So even when like he has bad plays, I'm like, well, yeah, that's what I expected. When he has good plays, I'm like, well, where'd that come from, you know? So, well, um, I think to pivot away a little bit from uh, to just like a kind of positive community moment sort of note, um, you, I think we've most of us have heard by this time the uh, about that Pleasant Grove teen that woke up on his birthday with the car covered in manure, right. um, and you know the Jazz players really just kind of took to Twitter today, like to say that you know we're going to make sure we take care of him. You know, Rudy says we definitely will, you know, because there's a uh, this guy going by Jimmy Rex that says he wants to make sure that the kid knows he's loved here in Utah. And then uh, Donovan's like, give me the details for this kid. And uh, to me, that's heartwarming. It's like it just shows to me how connected to the community they are and how um, how they really do like making people's lives better. And it's not, you know, none of that is an act like when they uh, when they do that, they mean it. And and that's from the top-down organizational um, uh, hierarchy that uh, I guess we we teach um, our uh, social responsibility. Our, yeah, yeah. So like uh, that, that's great for the the Jazz and their players to do that. So yeah, I think um, Larry Larry was big on that, and uh, Gail is huge big on that too. And it's just great that the Miller family has been. You know, so yeah, they've been instrumental in just te- teaching this community how the the best the best we can be, and to to help people see the best of ourselves, which is it's awesome. You know, I, I don't know if you did you ever read uh, John Stockton's book where he mentions like 
uh, how they would have contractual obligations to go see sick kids or sometimes. And sometimes he felt like, you know, just because we all have that feeling like, oh, there's so much going on in life. I'm not sure I really want to go. I don't feel like it. But then he goes and he's just like, man, this is the best thing I can do in my time. And it's just it's amazing that, you know, that we have uh, leadership, um, you know, in an organization to to be able to experience something like that. And just the real sense of community um, that exists with this with this team. Yeah, so I mean, good for the good on the Jazz, good on the Jazz, and that's what endears the fans to the the players really right now. Like, it's not that you know they win basketball games; it's just that Donovan Mitchell, uh, from moment one when he stepped on uh, stepped into Utah, seemed like he wanted to be here. Which is after um, uh, losing Gordon Hayward, the Jazz fans needed. I mean, in one of the ugliest free agencies possible for the Jazz. Yeah, it like I think that really was such a healing thing, right? Right, and like it just, it's one of those things that I, I remember year one, or after year one, uh, whenever I would wear my Donovan Mitchell jersey around, people were like, hey, do you think he's staying? And again, this is you know, a guy on his rookie contract coming to Utah, and everybody was worried about if he was staying or not. And um, you know, there, there was a lot of hurt. And Donovan and these players, Mike Conley, uh, Boyan, they, they're healing the Jazz uh, Jazz Nation with their actions. So, well, well, we still also see that online. That's like the number one attack that it seems like opposing fan base will have. Well, he's gonna leave. Blah blah blah. And it's like, who cares? He's here now. <laughs> That's yeah. what matters to like, me. I, I can't. I you know I, I tell people I can't tell you what's gonna happen in the seven years because anyway, that's probably the length that we have. Uh, uh, jazz fans will get to have donovan unless something really weird happens but you know for the next three or four years it'll be really nice to, to experience so uh here yeah so uh you know what jared i'm gonna give my voice a rest i don't know what happened today i don't know I, I we've done longer pause than this but let's take a break so what we're gonna do we're gonna take a break we're gonna bring a guest on jazz go to memphis to play the grizzlies friday night so we're gonna talk about that mike conley returning to the grizzlies <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode. Also, thanks to our Utah sponsors, the Off-Broadway Theater in downtown Salt Lake and the Great Room Escape in Layton, Utah. If you have a second, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and all other podcast platforms. It helps us podcast out, and we will enter all written five-star reviews into a drawing for free tickets to either the Off-Broadway Theater or the Great Room Escape. Just write a five-star review, and you'll be entered to win. All right, folks, welcome back to Hitting the High Notes. Uh, so the Utah Jazz Friday night will travel to Memphis, and so we decided to bring on a guest. Uh, he is uh, the associate editor of the Grizzly Bear Blues um, uh, blog, as well as uh, a host of the Core 4 podcast. Please welcome Parker Fleming. What's up, Parker? How's it going? Uh, doing pretty well. Uh, Utah Jazz are riding mighty high. Uh Thanks to uh, a, a little piece that Memphis sent to the Jazz in the offseason, but we'll get to that. Uh, well, let's talk about the Memphis Grizzlies first because uh, they had a pretty big win uh, Wednesday night. Uh, if you don't mind walking us through that. Yeah, absolutely. So Memphis Grizzlies took on the Charlotte Hornets. Granted, it's not like a marquee matchup, but we did get to see a lot of cool matchups in last night's game. More notably, John Morant versus Terry Rozier slash Devontae Graham, one of the biggest surprises this year, as well as Jan Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark versus P.J. Washington and Cody Zeller. Got to see also a few of the Grizzlies' young role players put on some awesome games. 
Dylan Brooks had 15 points and four assists, hit three three-pointers. That's always a good sign coming from your starting shooting guard. He's not necessarily the number one or two or three option in the starting lineup. But they also had probably the best game from Marco Gugrich, who they signed over from Europe. He hit four threes and had 14 of his 17 points in the second half, which really sparked a big 26-5 run. And then, as everyone's seen on social media, John Morant just took the keys in the final seconds and finished over both Cody Zeller and Miles Bridges, which at his size, he's maybe like 6'2", a buck 75. That's super impressive. And it's just really cool to see a guy that young just had the stones to deliver in the big moments because we even saw that against Brooklyn a few weeks ago where he went toe-to-toe with Kyrie Irving and delivered the Grizzlies their first win in the season. So it's all pretty good right now in Memphis. Granted, not the same aspirations as the Utah Jazz, but it's nice to see that we have young talent to look forward to. Uh, let's take us back to the draft night or uh, the draft lottery uh, selections. Um, the Memphis really surprisingly um, uh, hit the top four, which uh, I have said this before that I felt like this was kind of a weird, like I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I think uh, for the most part, the draft lottery is not rigged, but man, for New Orleans to get number one and uh, LA and New York to get three or four, it felt kind of fishy. It felt like, uh, but you know, it was good for Memphis for getting the number two pick and getting a pretty good talent, John Morant. Yeah, absolutely. See, I, I'm different. I, I think the NBA draft lottery is a little rigged. Um, it's only a coincidence that the Pelicans, Grizzlies, and Lakers, who all finished within 7 and 11 in the reverse lottery standings, all happened to jump up into the top four just to kind of send the message to these teams like, hey, we had this new lottery reform. Tanking's not going to work. So that's where I do see a little of the fishiness there. It was a little fishy, but you know what? Let's uh, let's turn a blind eye to it because uh, <laughs> you know, we're gonna, we're going to go down a dark path and we continue on that. Um, uh, mm-hmm. So I, I alluded to this earlier, like uh, the Memphis Grizzlies and Utah Jazz engaged in a trade that uh, eleven ten games in the season looks like it's going to work out for both teams. Uh, obviously, the uh, the Jazz um, uh, acquired the biggest name in Mike Conley, a uh, point guard who uh, was there in Memphis for his entire career. And uh, Memphis um, uh, got, uh, or actually a really, it turned into a pretty good draft pick. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, yeah, in that trade, the Grizzlies were able to get Brandon Clark. And he was really one of the biggest steals in the draft. And everybody even called it. They said Brandon Clark is going to be good. And he's been awesome for the Grizzlies thus far. And and then they also got Jay Crowder, who granted, he's at this point right now, he's a three and D guy, but the, the three part is more just him being a gunner. And but he's a great veteran leader that these young guys need as they mature into NBA grown-ups per se. And then they were able to use Kyle Corver's salary to nab Josh Jackson and DeAnthony Melton from Phoenix, as well as two second-round picks. How did that happen? I don't know. But that's always nice. And then I was always a Grayson Allen fan. When he was at Duke, I thought he was awesome at Duke. Granted, not the guy that you thought he was going to be in the NBA. He's kind of had a little bit of a rough start. He's actually having an ankle injury right now. But it's always good for 
one of my favorite college players to be wearing Bill Street blue. Um, uh, Brandon Clark was a, a favorite, uh, 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 a guest that we have on here a lot. Uh, he was rated very highly in this guy's uh, in Riley, as the fans know, in his um, uh, projections. So a guy that I don't think a lot of people thought were gonna, was going to be there in the early to mid twenties. So, uh, well, good for both teams. Um, uh, again, uh, the Jazz are are riding high. Uh, Mike Conley had a rough start to the season. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't know how closely you follow the Jazz, but that's been the big storyline. Uh, of Mike Conley. Uh, what do you attribute to Mike Conley's uh, kind of sluggish start? I guess. I think it's all about just being in a new system. He's been with the Grizzlies. He was with them for about twelve years, and for the most part, they had the same system. Because every year, whenever there was a new coach, they would try to integrate that pace and space, faster movement. But I always felt like there's a little bit of resistance because the core four had their style that worked. And at the end of the day, you got to cater to your stars. And that's what happened. And Mike Conley never really got to learn a new system throughout his career, aside from transitioning from Mark Ivoroni to Lionel Holland. So I do think part of it is just learning a new system. In addition, he's never played with a lob threat big man like Rudy Gobert, but he also hasn't played with a ball-dominant guard like Donovan Mitchell. So I think that, that kind of attributes to a sluggish start. Granted, it could also just be jitters, too, from this is his first new team in his NBA career, and he has these high expectations as the guy that's supposed to push them to the top. I mean, that that's not an easy expectations. And at the end of the day, like there's that pressure, there's that nervousness, but I'm glad to see that he's coming around and looking like Conley of old. So you, you host something called the core four podcast, which I believe, or I'm going to assume is uh Memphis Grizzlies based. Um, I've never actually heard of the Memphis Grizzlies core four. I assume Gasol and Conley were part of that. Maybe Randolph. Who's that fourth piece of the core four? Tony Allen. So Tony oh, Allen was the guy that he originally coined the grit and grind term after a press conference or after a post-game interview. He said all hard, grit, and grind, and then he dubbed the nickname the Grindfather. And so he just really embodied that spirit and the time for the Memphis Grizzlies. If I had to, if I had to compare it to anything, it'd probably be similar to like Draymond in Golden State or Marcus Smart in Boston, where he's not necessarily the best guy, but he just brings that intensity and spirit every night. And he was the engine that drove the Grizzlies top-level defense for the past decade. Yeah, and uh, Jared and I talked about uh, this guy earlier in our podcast, but uh, Joe Ingles for the Jazz is sort of the same guy. Intensity, heart, uh, the skills are not all uh, are not uh, are declining a little bit, but still, like, the heart and soul of the team right now feels like it's Joe Ingles, the engine, you know, the, the glue, right? the glue guy. Mm-hmm, absolutely. that I've been a Joe Ingles guy since he kind of just came on a few years back. I love the way that he plays, I like that swagger that he plays with. And it's just been really cool, actually, to see his game evolve over time from kind of just like this bench guy that shoots threes and can put the ball on the floor to one of the most steady threes in basketball. I mean, he's probably like, he was probably a little bit outside the top 10 a few years back. And he really kind of made everything easier when Gordon Hayward left because kind of like Hayward, but to a a lesser extent. I know it's a little sensitive topic, but he could put the ball on the floor. He can shoot three at a high level. He can also 
take the offense and initiate it when needed. And that's that was also huge for Utah too because they did have Ricky Rubio, but behind him, Dante Exum was riddled with injuries, so it kind of just made sure that you had a steady hand as your quote unquote backup point guard instead of throwing out a guy that's for the most part a third string point guard. Yeah, and I'm uh, uh yeah, it, it was a transition time. Uh the Jazz have obviously um uh rebuilt on the fly very quickly. Um and so the I mean, I don't know if you ever heard of the Utah core four, Utah Jazz core four. It was uh Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, Alec Burks, and Ennis Cantor and None of those guys are a part of the Jazz anymore. So, um, yeah, so Mike Conley returning to Memphis is going to be a nationally televised game. It's a, it's a big, big moment. Uh, how, what, what's the pulse like in, in Memphis uh, with the return of Mike Conley? I just think everybody's excited. It's going to be really cool to see him match up against his successor and John Morant. Um, I don't think there's going to be many dry eyes in the arena tomorrow night when he has his tribute video play on the Jumbotron. He's going to get cheered super loud for his pregame introduction with the Jazz. There might be a little bit of a pause, too, so that everybody can just soak in the moment. How is it going to look like on the floor? I don't know. Personally, I, I hope John Morant just goes off. It'd be pretty fun. But it, it's going to be a very surreal night and one of the most surreal nights that we'll probably experience this season, especially for a team that their aspirations are developing young talent and possibly ping pong balls. Uh, it's a, uh, it's almost like for jazz fans watching Carl Malone in a Laker Jersey. It's a, uh, it's a little crazy to see um, uh, someone who's has such a long tenure with one team play. Uh, what was it like um, to see, has Mark Gasol been back since he's been to, in Toronto yet? Um, he has not been back yet. Um, it's actually pretty promising right now because at first nobody really knew what Toronto was going to do. If they started out slow, I could see, I could see a fire sale, but they've been hot and they look still like one of the better Eastern conference teams. So we had that to look forward to in later March. So towards the end of the season. Um, so again, that's going to be another surreal moment where they get to honor a Grizzlies legend. I got to see it with Tony Allen and Zach Randolph and, Wow, I'm I'm just excited for it. Yeah, it's, it's great to see um, uh, the favorite sons um, uh, return home. Uh, so let's talk a little strategy here. Uh, Memphis Grizzlies, what are what what parts of the Jazz are they worried about? You know, obviously the Stifle Towers in the middle, Donovan Mitchell um, can go off, but now there's you know obviously Mike Conley who could you know have a return game um, that could go off, or Bojan Bogdanovic who hit a big three as we talked about um, uh, earlier in the podcast. Uh, a big three against the Milwaukee Bucks after he went for 33 points. Um, what do you think the Grizzlies are going to try to do to try to slow this Jazz team ta- down? I mean, a lot of it is just like you can't really help a lot of it. I mean, Mike Conley is what he is. Donovan Mitchell is what he is. Rudy Gobert is what he is. I think a lot of it will be trying to contain a lot of those guys like Boban Bodanovich and Joe Ingles that could go off. Um, it does help that the they're playing Bondanovich at the four, correct? Actually, so uh, starting lineup, Royce O'Neal plays the four for the Jazz, and then Bogdanovich plays the three, and Joe Ingles comes off the bench. Okay, so I can I can see something where Bogdanovich has Jaron Jackson Jr. on him, which I don't think would be a good matchup for Bogdanovich at all. Uh, or they could put Jay Crowder on him, who is also a, a big physical defender. 
So I think a lot of it is just neutralizing those guys and making sure that they don't have a random explosion. Granted, Bogdanovich is averaging 20 a game, but at the end of the day, you're trying to shut down Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, and you're trying to make Rudy Gobert as minimal of an impact as possible. Luckily, I remember Jonas Valanciunas had a 20-10 and 10 game last year against Rudy Gobert. Hopefully, we can see a little bit of an encore from that. But I think a big thing, the biggest thing is just neutralizing Rudy Gobert and making sure he has little to no impact, whether that's taking him out for high screen roles and forcing him to switch on to guys like John Moran or Tyus Jones or Dylan Brooks, or just spacing the floor and having Jonas Valanciunas attack you from the perimeter because he's shown that if you're going to give him space, he will shoot threes and he will make them. So I think the biggest key to the game, strategic-wise, is making sure Rudy Gobert has little to no impact because John Morant has done a great job of getting to the rim. But the Cypher Tower is a former Defensive Player of the Year for a reason. So I think that's the key to the game. I believe you meant to say reigning Defensive Player of the Year. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, I, I, I don't know if the screen and rolls are going to work because uh, Rudy um, uh, doesn't really switch off onto smaller guys. Like The Jazz rotate pretty well. The teams that do have success are the teams that do stretch out the floor. Um, uh, if um, uh, you have bigs who can shoot the three, that does hurt the Jazz a little more because it does. Um, uh, the Jazz play a, a drop big a lot, just a lot. And so, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Are there any like Jazz players besides, obviously, the ones that we mentioned, you know, the Ingles, the, the top five players? Uh, does Jeff Green or Moutier, or are you afraid of any of uh, the Jazz bench guys or other guys, other pieces, um, uh, or what do you think of the Jazz um, uh, other pieces? I think outside of their main guys and the guys that we've talked about, I mean, I can speak for the entire city of Memphis when I say that the Grizzly or that the Grizzlies should not be concerned about Jeff Green. Um, he is the reason why we owe a first round pick to the Boston Celtics either this year or next season. Um, I would probably say. Someone like Joe Ingles or Ed Davis. Ingles for the reasons we mentioned, but Ed Davis is one of the better, most underrated rebounders in basketball and probably one of the better backup bigs. So I'm very interested to see how guys like Brandon Clark and Kyle Anderson and Jaron Jackson Jr. match up against Ed Davis, who is a strong veteran rebounder. Unfortunately, we are going to have to wait uh, for the next matchup. Uh, Ed Davis is going to be out for about another three weeks. Um, uh, so you guys get to see Tony Bradley tonight, the Tony Bradley experience as backup center. Um, yeah, um, uh, well, the, the thing about uh, – so, like, last game, the Jazz played against the Nets. Uh, Uncle Jeff and Moutier, um, uh actually helped the Jazz get back in that game. Uh, yeah, uh, J- Jeff Green um, uh, is kind of an enigma. You know, he, he I think he's a very solid bench guy that's making the vet minimum. Um, there are days that he's going to really help you, and there are days that he's just going to be a placeholder. Uh, while the starters get rest, and which I think as a bench player, making the minimum, that's more than we can ask for. Uh, the Jazz can ask for at least. Um, uh, you mentioned Dante Exum earlier. Uh, I don't. Be- I believe this injury report is not out yet. Dante Exum is still recovering from uh, his uh, knee injury. It's unlikely, I would say, that he plays tomorrow. But um, uh, what do you guys have thoughts about Dante Exum? I just want him to be healthy, and I just want to see what he can do with a. With full health, with a guy like Mike Conley as a veteran mentor, um, I know for sure when the Grizzlies in Utah 
trade talks were revving up, I was dreading the idea of getting Dante Exum just because, for one, his contract. I mean, it's not long or anything, but I don't want to pay the guy $11 million a year. I was afraid, too, that because at the time, the Grizzlies didn't necessarily, you know, they didn't know they were going to get John Morant. So I was like, crap, are we going to get Dante Exum? And they try to dub him as the next starting point guard for the Memphis Grizzlies. Again, that's a little less than ideal as well. I just want him to get healthy. I mean, do I like him as a player? I mean, not not really. I like his defense. He played some really hard defense in the playoffs a few years ago on James Harden. That's true. But I think at this point, this is this is what you get out of Exum. I kind of wish he would just take like a Sean Livingston approach and just focus on that mid-range shot, focus on defending, focus on being a good secondary playmaker in the second unit alongside a bigger wing that can play make. Kind of like how Livingston had it in Udala. Exum could have Ingles. So I guess that's my thoughts on Dante Exum. Yeah, I hope you I hope you guys, speaking of Udala, I hope you guys get a good draft pick for, for him. Uh, that's a... Uh, it's it's a weird. Um, uh, uh, there's a weird Twitter battle about um, uh, what the Grizzlies should do with Andre Iguodala, and I, for one, am on the side of. I think uh, the Grizzlies are holding out for something, and I think they should. I mean, that's they they traded for him for for a reason. So, um, yeah. So the I mean, Dante Exum um, uh, has been rattled by injuries, and I think that's what the Jazz approach this year is going to be with Dante is to have him be one of the you know top seven or eight guys like him uh, uh top two or three off the bench but one of the top seven or eight guys in rotation and just play a, a bunch of different positions not necessarily just back a point guard um uh we've talked about that a lot so uh yeah I, I, it's gonna be weird uh, for jazz fans seeing jay crowder in uh, a different jersey he, he didn't have a long tenure in utah but yeah i, I mean you, you guys have seen it the guy is heart and soul and uh it was the jazz weren't missing his skill level per se. Like they, they, they weren't missing him chucking the ball, but they're, they're going to miss like his presence on the floor and what he brought to the team. And I think that's a, a it was a good get for the Grizzlies to get that veteran leadership in that locker room. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And even in like media scrums and everything, he has kind of said like, he wouldn't mind being like how Tony Allen was here and kind of being that heart and soul here being that veteran leader here. I actually did get to talk to him at media day this year about just being that veteran guy for a lot of the rising young stars in the league, such as Jalen Brown, Donovan Mitchell. And now he's going to do the same for Jaron Jackson Jr. And John Morant. And I, I love his insight and he's an awesome dude to have in the locker room. And he's actually a starting caliber three that the Grizzlies haven't had since Rudy Gay. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, and, and it's it's nice to you know small market teams like Utah and Memphis to get players that when they get there they don't want to leave right away. Uh, it sounds like Jay Crowder is very happy to go wherever whoever wants him, you know. And he he looks like he's already ingrained himself to be a Memphis Grizzly for a, you know a longer stretch. I know that when he first got traded there, there was talk about maybe him being bought out to go to a contender. But I think I mean I think Memphis Grizzlies fans wouldn't mind having. Crowder for a few more years. Uh, is that uh, is that true? Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people are talking about his value at the trade deadline. And with that, it's just like, see what you can get. If you can dupe a team into giving you a first-round pick, go for it. But honestly, I don't mind keeping him, especially since Grizzlies are going to have a lot of cap space over the next two summers. If you give him a two-year, 
$20 million deal and just have him there a little longer and have him there until you're ready to build a playoff team, I'm all for it. But it's kind of a mixed bag as far as what Memphis fans think of Jay Crowder because you have some of that just overthink it and think of assets and they want to just use Jay Crowder as an asset. Some do see him kind of like how I'm seeing him as, you know, he could be a trade asset, but he can also be a guy that you can have around to help build and mold this next great Grizzlies team. And then obviously, as there is with every fan base, there are people that just over overstate his impact. So that's where everyone falls on uh, Jay Crowder. Right. And uh, that's the NBA 2K model. Everybody thinks that you just go get as many young talents as possible, but in the actual NBA, you, you do need to have that veteran uh, leadership and veteran presence to lead uh, the young pups, you know. Um, and the Grizzlies have done pretty well the last couple of drafts. I mean, first some uh, having JJJ drop to them, and then I'm um, uh, getting John Morant at number two, um, which is, I guess, a consolation prize for uh, missing out on Zion, but a pretty good consolation prize, if you ask me. Yeah, absolutely. And you're not even mentioning Brandon Clark. Oh, that's true. In, yeah, uh, right, right. In last year's draft. I was honestly very pleased because there was a lot of guys that dropped that shouldn't have that the Grizzlies were going to get with that pick that the Jazz gave. I mean, Brandon Clark's one of them. I know a guy like guys like Grant Williams, Keldon Johnson, and Nasir Little. They were all uh, Kevin Porter Jr. They were all falling, and I was like, the Grizzlies are really about to get like another lottery type player with this Conley pick. Or with this Conley trade. So right. I was very happy. And then in 2017, they got Dylan Brooks in the with the 45th pick, which, I mean, I don't know what his upside is as a player. I don't know if he's just going to be – if he's actually a starting caliber two-yard or if he's just going to be a good bench piece. But nonetheless, he made something out of the 45th pick, which is always a win in my book. Oh, exactly. I mean, I, I always – compare uh, lottery picks or I'm sorry, second round picks as like scratch off lottery tickets, you know, you, you know, like nine times out of 10, you're going to lose, but if you hit, you know, even like five bucks on that one out of 10, it's a, it's, it's a good get. Um, yeah. Uh, it was a weird um, draft last year or last year when, um, yeah, guy, the guys that you mentioned kept falling in. Um, I know there was a little dissension from uh, the jazz uh, social media fan base about not being able to get one of those guys, but those guys weren't supposed to be there at the the Jazz traded away the twenty fifth pick. It was was it? I mean, it was yeah to... the twenty third pick, and then they used pick. the and then they used the twenty third pick in a future second to move up to twenty one to grab Brandon Clark. Yeah. So I was scared he was always going to go to Boston or uh, San Antonio. Yeah, so when those... I saw when I saw oh, San Antonio, when I saw San Antonio take Lucas and Matt, whatever. And not Brandon Clark. I was like, okay, the Grizzlies are about to get Brandon Clark. Yeah, I mean, it, those guys weren't supposed to be there. Is the thing those guys were supposed to be like late lottery picks, um, uh, or even uh, mid lottery picks? But yeah, it it worked out for. And this is one of those um, great trades that looks like it's going to work out for both teams because even with Mike Conley's uh, shooting struggles, he's been a great force for the Jazz. Um, like I'm not a Ricky Rubio hater. Uh, I thought Ricky played very well for the Jazz. Uh, I, but there were some limitations that Mike Conley covers up. Like this Jazz team needed Mike Conley more than it needed Ricky Rubio. Uh, the spacing the Jazz have now, be, even because of, even with Mike Conley's uh, shooting woes, there's still a gravity to Mike Conley. You can't leave him um, uh, open as you lost Ricky Rubio. 
And so, uh, yeah, Mike Conley has done um, a, a, ver- a very good job for the Jazz, and the pieces all kind of came together. I mean, Mike Conley coming to Utah helped the Jazz uh, sign Bojan Bogdanovich in the offseason. Uh, it all, you know, the dominoes started falling, and the Jazz have a window here in the next uh, year or two to um, uh, try to make a championship run. Um, and then after that, who knows? Uh, the, the Memphis Grizzlies right now feel like they're, you know, just feeling everybody out. You know, they may not win every game. Uh, they're going to lose some tough ones, but it, there's at least hope uh, for the Grizzlies that um, uh, in a few years they can get back to prominence. Right. And I do, I'll actually, I have a question for you because in that trade, there's also in another first round pick yep. with like <laughs> the age of Bondanovich and Conley and Ingles. And then they had to either, Supermax or max out Rudy Gobert, as well as max out or supermax Donovan Mitchell. Are you kind of worried about how that second pick ends up being because you don't know what's left for the Jazz after next season? Yeah, so that pick is most likely going to convey in two years, I believe, right? Like, it's not, it's probably not going to convey this year. I want to say next year it's lottery protected or at least top 10 protected. So, or you know, it has the same sort of protection, so the Jazz won't be conveying it next year. So it's going to be the the year it conveys is, is the year that Mike Conley's uh, contract runs out for the Jazz, unless they extend him. Um, yeah, it, there, there there's that little worry, but it is what it is for to get Mike Conley. It didn't feel like that much of uh, to give up at the time. I mean, it was two draft picks. One was a you know a, a mid twenties pick, which. You know, for most years, it's not super valuable, I would say. Um, and then um, uh, you're not supposed to get talents like Brandon Clark at, at 23 or 21 or, or wherever it is that you're not in that area, you know. And the second pick, it is a little worrisome because Bogdanovich would still be on, in contact for the Jazz, but yeah, his, his age is uh, concerning. Joe Ingles, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, uh, we're already seeing a decline. Uh, and the Jazz extended him, and it's great to you know give him that insurance. But there's a chance that Joe Ingles in two or three years will not be nearly as effective, or even half as effective as he is now. Um, it's a, it'll be interesting to see what the Jazz do, knowing that they have you know this two-year window, basically uh, the Rudy Gobert window, as we call it, uh, because you know the best time to do it is right now when the Jazz don't have uh, three max players on their on their roster. They can re and they can build and. Hopefully get some talent to cheap. Hopefully find some, you know, maybe some cheap talent in the second round, which they tried to do this year. Uh, yeah, uh, so it, it could go badly, but right now, I mean, you know, even if the Jazz don't win a championship in the next few years, if the Jazz are competitive and fun to watch, it's a, it's a worthwhile trade, you know? Like, you, you don't pay – you pay for the entertainment they bring you in the moment. So um, uh, I think um, uh, it's a, it was a good trade because – the Jazz uh, gave us some core pieces, but they got Mike Conley, and that was uh, really important for this Jazz team to be in the plan with Mike Conley. I agree. Yeah, so, oh, hopefully, um, <laughs> in two years, the Jazz have championship aspirations. But um, uh, the Jazz did this a, a few years ago. The Jazz went and traded um, uh, all their "quote unquote" cap space. Basically, uh, that's how is how the Warriors got um, Andre Iguodala. They just uh, accumulated draft picks, and I think um, uh, teams that are building on the fly. I mean, Memphis is in great position. They they have two, and it looks like two guys that could be all stars, um, uh, and and multiple all star with multiple all star experiences. Excuse me, two 
uh, players who could have multiple all-star experience um, uh, appearances. And uh, then they still have draft picks coming up. They've got some cap space. I know that teams, small market teams are like, oh, cap space, what do you, you know, cap space can be important. You, you, can, you can bring back in uh, guys that are uh, maybe on the tail end of their contracts that, like a Kevin Love, maybe, you know. I'm not saying Kevin Love is going back to Memphis, but I'm just saying those type of players can come back if you have cast base, plus you have um, a young talent, plus you have picks for the future. So I think that's really, uh, enough, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not not to mention in that Iguodala trade, they got a 2024 first-round pick. And with the way the Warriors are looking right now, I, I like it. I like it a lot. So. Yeah, 2024, the what Steph Curry will be 35 or so. Uh, Steph will be 36, Clay yeah. will be 34, and Draymond will be 34. Yeah, and uh, the every, a lot of people are surprised about the the quick decline of the uh, the Grizzlies. Sorry, the Warriors. But I mean, they traded away Andre Iguodala. They they got rid of or Sean Livingston left the team. They they basically had their their core three guys uh, plus D'Angelo, but then they signed a bunch of G leaguers to their team. It was not that surprising, I think, because, you know, and the Warriors um, uh, have been a very popular team in the last three or four years. But, I mean, if you, I don't know if you remember, like the, the 90s and the early 2000s and the early 2010 Warriors weren't anything special. I don't know I would, if I would consider them a huge market to get free agents every year. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, well, uh, P- uh, Parker, um, uh, so uh, hit up uh, your Twitter handle and uh, wh- where they can read and listen to you. Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Read my work at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. Listen to the Core 4 podcast by searching Grizzly Bear Blues on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, or wherever you find your podcast. Yeah, so um, uh, thank you for um, uh, taking uh, some time out of your lunch break today to talk uh, Jazz and Grizzlies with us. Um, uh, it's going to be a pretty emotional game. Uh, thank you again for uh, you know helping us uh, get Mike Conley for our for our title run here, um, and we hope that um, uh, it works out well for the Grizzlies as well. So um, it's, it looks like the future is bright there in Memphis. Uh, take care, of Jay Crowder. He he is he is a uh, he's a, he's a spitball of fire. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, thank you for Brandon Clark. Yeah, well, you're welcome. Oh, uh, real quick, has Jay Crowder hit any four point plays this year? He actually had a game last week where he hit two in one game. That's uh, that's we call that the Crowder. He does that a lot. <laughs> Fantastic to know. All right, well, um, uh, again, folks, thank you for um, uh, joining us on hitting the high notes today. Again, thank you to Parker Fleming, uh, the Core Four Podcast, Grizzly Bear Blues uh, Associate Editor. Uh, for Jared Barker, um, uh, you can see him at Go to the Distance Forty Nine on Twitter. Go to the Distance Forty Nine, nice. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Jazz High Notes. Uh, that's Jazz High Notes. If you want to hear some of my thoughts about wrestling or other things, um, uh, why don't you um, follow me at, at Who H U U Tran T R A N Superman at Who Tran Superman. Uh, and Parker, let let Joe know. Thank you for um uh, getting the setup for us because I, I invited Joe and he was busy, but I'm glad that um uh, we were able to get one of you guys on here. So. Absolutely, I will. You take care. Thank you, guys, and uh, we'll see you guys next time.